0: Evidence and answers. How can Christians effectively share Christ with those from different cultures and different religions? What are some of the barriers that keep people from understanding the gospel message of Christ? You're tuned to Evidence & Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and his guest, Dr. Daniel McCoy, will be sharing insights on how to effectively communicate the gospel to those in different cultures and religions. Now, let's continue with part two
1: there's a sense in which some of those elements in the religions make some sense, whereas there are elements within Christianity that I kind of need to be enabled by the Holy Spirit to really get behind because they are so counterintuitive to what my flesh would desire. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating.
2: Now, another lesson you said you learned, patience is powerful. Tell us about that one
1: yeah and that's a lesson I learned in reading through your chapter uh the one on stories of people coming to Christ, because story after story of people coming to Christ from another religion it wasn't a one time Damascus road experience. It was typically a relationship of patience and people having gentle persuasion uh g- giving people gentle persuasion and and just tons of love along the way as When Cortland says, you know, people love their religion, it's a part of them. It's their their culture, it's their identity. And so if they um, are to leave behind, you know, their religious identity, they need time to grieve those beliefs that they're giving up. And so it just puts emphasis on the centrality of patience. Can God save somebody in an instant? Absolutely. You know, there can be an instantaneous uh, response to an altar call. Absolutely. However, I think most of the time, It's a long process, and we need to be able to have patience toward people.
2: Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, you know, how people, their religion is part of them, their culture, their ancestry, and to suddenly leave it all behind. You stated it well. There's a grieving process that needs to take place before they can leave that behind and embrace the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think that's pretty well stated that, that a lot of people don't understand that there needs to be a grieving process that takes place when you're leaving practically your, your culture and your heritage for many of us, you know, who have come out of different religions to come to faith in Christ.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And Jesus spent three years with the disciples. And by the end of it, they, they still weren't exactly where they needed to be. They Obviously needed the Holy Spirit, but, you know, just a tremendous amount of tenderness and patience, long suffering that Jesus had towards these guys who, by then, they should have gotten it. And uh, so many of them didn't. So, yeah. And I know God shows patience to me every day. I'm so thankful for that. I can show it to others.
2: Yeah. And and like you said, you know, kind of repeating what Paul says, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. Uh, He who plants and he who waters are one. So, some of us are planters and then some of us are going to be those who you know uh water that seed that was planted and some will have the privilege of reaping the harvest but everyone has a part to play and i think most of us will be in that planting or watering stage uh, a point that you mm. you bring out uh, that that's really important for people to understand isn't it
1: oh yeah that's so good I had a professor in college when I went to Ozark, and he uh, during one of the chapel services, he laid a whole bunch of papers out on the platform, you know maybe twenty twenty blank papers just in a row, and he said, "This represents somebody's path to coming to know Jesus, and you might be this guy you may you may be this paper here, uh, every one of them is important, and uh, I, I think we often put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be you know, the person who takes somebody from A to Z. And we need to be able to accept that sometimes I, sometimes I'm that piece of paper and I need to do it well.
2: Yeah. Well, okay. Another one you bring up, man, this is good stuff. You know, another one you bring up, labels are never enough. Tell us about that one.
1: Yeah. And this is so much bigger than just world religions, but I it especially comes into focus when it comes to each of these religions. Cause if, if somebody says I'm a Buddhist, for example, Uh, It can mean so many different things. And and we don't know what that means just by hearing that they're a Buddhist. And so it could be maybe they're a monk trying to pursue enlightenment Mm -hmm. following the example of Katama. It could be that they're more of a you know, a Zen Buddhist who's trying to find nirvana through meditative insight. It could be that this person is placing faith in a completely different Buddha named Amitabha and trying to be reborn in his pure land. And so, you know, I'm a Buddhist doesn't actually say a whole lot. We have to be able to ask lots more questions. I'm a Hindu. Okay. So, okay. As a Hindu, are you devo- devoting yourself to one of the gods or goddesses through these rituals? Or are you more meditatively and philosophically trying to explore your inner divinity? even atheism and pluralism. This really comes out in the chapters by Paul Copan and Ben DeVan on atheism and then another uh, chapter on pluralism, that even if you call yourself an atheist or call yourself a religious pluralist, there's just a vast number of subcategories under those that you could be. And of course, we know this well, if if someone tells you that they're a Christian, it could be all sorts of things, Mm -hmm. Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, even within Protestant, uh, you could be a mainline evangelical fundamentalist. And so, uh, it's just a call to go beyond the labels and really get to know somebody and ask lots of questions and don't don't make assumptions. So that's, that's one of the things I learned.
2: Yeah, you know, that's one of the mistakes a lot of us Christians make when we're sharing Christ here in the U.S. or going overseas is that we're so eager to present John 3.16 right away. Yeah. And we really, like you said, really need to first get to know the person, build a relationship, but then also ask a lot of questions because... Yeah. yeah, you really need to understand where they're coming from and exactly what they believe because the message of the gospel, as you states, needs to be contextualized. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is really to be asking a lot of those good questions. Good. Now, what are the kind of questions, I'm speaking generally here, that we should be asking when we come to someone and he says, I'm Hindu or Buddhist or Jain? Uh, what are some of the kind of questions we should be asking?
1: You know, each chapter on a particular religion is uh, is organized according to three main parts. And the first one is clarifying the facts. The second one is loving your neighbor and the third one is preaching the gospel. And I think that's not a bad, it, like if I'm, if I'm going to talk to a Hindu and hopefully get to get to know the person and, and have them over for dinner, you know, I'm going to be asking questions that are just going to clarify the facts. I want to know more about their religion. I want to know more about how they practice it. I want to figure out how I can best love my neighbor. You know, so what are their food preferences? Maybe based on their religion, what are things that are taboo that you know I, I need to not do around this person? Um, and then also, yeah, you know, moving the direction toward the gospel, questions about the heart's you know longing and and uh, spiritual experiences, and you know, what, what is your understanding of you know of truth and all these sorts of things. But I, I think I, I would love to ask questions about all those things, whether it be clarifying the facts or figuring out how I can best love my neighbor or how I can best preach the gospel to him.
2: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Now, the next one you state, progressivism is unimpressive. What's that one all about?
1: Yeah. So I I mentioned earlier with Renew.org, you know, that we really want to help people and help churches to avoid a couple of extremes. One extreme would be, you know, ineffective traditionalism. On the one hand, which is not much thought is given to really effectiveness for the culture. But on the other hand, you have progressivism, uh, unfaithful progressivism, which is like a rewriting of the script of Christianity in order to fit cultural sensibilities. Now, if you follow progressive Christianity, as I've defined it as kind of a rewriting of the script to fit the culture, if you trace that out, you're going to get all of those roads are going to eventually lead to Unitarian Universalism, which is another one of the chapters in the book, Unitarianism, which would be the idea that, you know, there's only one God, unless you become an atheist, which also can happen, but there's only one God, and there's no Trinity. Jesus isn't God, the Holy Spirit isn't God, and so Jesus was just a human. Okay, so that's, that's one direction that progressivism is gonna take you, that Jesus was just human. And another is Unitarian Universalism, the idea that all people will be saved in the end. If you trace out, you know, Unitarian Universalists and what they believe, what, what often happens is they don't really have much spiritual substance of what they believe. Instead, it becomes very political. They know what they don't believe. They, they don't believe Orthodox Christianity, but often they don't have positive spiritual beliefs that they're just sure of because they've given that up. Okay, so when I say that progressivism is unimpressive, if you look at these religions in the book, these people, they believe what they believe. They know what they believe. They have a spine. One of the religions that's you know, rising rapidly in the world would be Islam. You know, I, I know that there. you know, Islam can go through its own crises at times with regard to people wanting to leave, but the Muslims uh, that, that I have heard about, you know, most of them, they know what they believe, and they're very strong in their beliefs. And so what I'm saying is that if you take a progressive, watered-down, spineless spirituality that really mm. doesn't believe anything— Hmm. You put that up against the, the rising force, which would be Islam, who wins? It's such a mismatch. And so what I'm getting at is that if somebody is tempted to go progressive, give up some central doctrines of the faith because they want to fit the culture, they're not thinking long-term enough. If you're looking at the long term, you're going to realize that in the end, it's going to be primarily Christianity and Islam. And if it's a progressive Christianity, they, they, there's just no match. Does that? sort of make
2: sense yes it does you know and i think that's what we're seeing here in even in our country it's the progressive Christian or you know liberal christian churches that are empty in hawaii here you know where land is premium here you've got these huge beautiful churches tremendous stonework and artwork there and on sundays they're empty You know, there's nobody in there. Mm. And, Mm. you know, those are more the liberal denominations. And it's, you know, like you said, it's the evangelical kind of churches that hold to inerrancy and inspiration of the scriptures. Those are them. But they're meeting in schools, you know, or Mm. cafeterias or, you know, restaurants, warehouses, places like that. And these huge uh, churches here on the island. A beautiful. They're empty because they've, like you said, they've pretty much lost their gospel. I mean, they've lost their message here. And it's kind of, yeah. it's an empty experience when you go in there and listen to these guys.
1: Yeah, because what, what's really the point at the end of the day? You know, yeah. If, if yeah. we're going to kind of abandon our, mm-hmm. our, you know, the authority of the Bible, and we're going to take that mantle on ourselves to kind of figure out what we should believe, why should people listen? I really don't know. I mean, and if you look at the mainline denominations throughout history for the past decades, they've just been on decline. Now they're on life support.
2: <laughs> yeah, and,
1: uh, you know I recognize that research is coming out saying that kind of a lot of churches, even even the more conservative ones, are dwind- dwindling a bit more. You know, for the first time, less than half of Americans are identifying as as church members. So I realize that we all have our struggles, but especially those mainline denominations that went liberal, you know, back in the day. They're on life support at the very same time as a lot of young people, uh, young evangelicals are thinking, hey, I think I might want to go down that same path. Maybe that is the way to church revitalization. What they don't realize is that progressivism may promise to be an on-ramp to the faith. It's always an off-ramp.
2: Mm, wow, that's I'm gonna have to use that line. Wow, that's good.
1: Well, if you lose it, if you use it though, you got to give credit. David Young has a book uh, called A Grand Illusion, and it's mm-hmm. it's a renew uh, book that we put out. And David Young, very very bright New Testament scholar and pastor. Anyway, that's his line. He studied the New Testament under progressives at Vanderbilt,
2: wow. he
1: a PhD, and his faith actually grew during that time because he realized you know progressives even though, you know, they're friends of his, they don't have the answer. This is not the way forward. So yeah, I hope, I highly recommend that book, uh, A Grand Illusion by David Young. It's it's probably the best book on progressivism out there.
2: Oh, fantastic. Wow. All right. This next one, the answer is Jesus, but what is the question?
1: Yeah. So again, you know, I Ching Thomas's excellent chapter on contextualization. She She talks about that and I had never thought of it that way before. But, you know, people are not always asking the questions that we have learned to ask in the West. Spiritual questions we tend to ask would be, how can I get into a right relationship with God? How can I get my sins forgiven? How can I have eternal life? And even just that question, you know, about eternal life, that wouldn't be attractive at all to a Buddhist who's trying to, you know, leave the wheel of existence. And so you look at Shinto, for example, in Japan, and uh, the chapter on Shinto talks about an elderly man who he comes to a Shinto shrine a 100 times a year. He's asked why, and he says, I want to feel clear. Uh, A young lady in her 20s regularly visits a Shinto shrine uh, to be in a power spot uh, where she can greet the god and then have good favor with the god, and and then she gives the god her name and address in order to get that good favor. You look at the chapter on African traditional religion and how it's a, it's a spirit-infused world that they believe in, which is actually, I think, a helpful way of looking at the world, but they're not really wondering if the spirit infused world is real like in our post-christian culture we're, we're trying to figure out you know our spirits real or not they're asking okay we, we know it's real who has power over it mm-hmm. suddenly the jesus in the gospels who has power over the spirits he takes on a whole new significance and so what each in said in that chapter just really helped me to learn that we need to find out the questions people are asking and uh, and then show how Jesus is the answer to that particular question.
2: That was a great point. You know, I remember speaking to my friend who's a missionary in Cambodia for many years. Very great ministry they're having there in Cambodia. And we were talking about the, the passion of the Christ, that movie, and how in the West, you know, it had a powerful impact on people. People were crying in the theaters and repenting of sin and renewed life in christ and things like that but when it was shown there in southeast asia which is primarily buddhist they watched that movie and they said this guy jesus must have been a horrible person because he must have had a lot of bad karma to die in that way we want nothing to do with this guy and so it had the opposite effect because we hadn't you know we jumped in at the middle of the story there and we hadn't understood the culture and the questions that, and the context from which they were coming from. So what you're stating is a real important point here.
1: Yeah, and even in our own country, you know, in the United States, we need to be asking, okay, what questions are they asking? And not will just automatically assume that they're thinking in the same categories as we are. So, we, yeah, we all need to be thinking like
2: missionaries. Well, here's another one that I really like here. Western Christianity is not alone. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, that was really encouraging uh, lesson for me to learn, and that is that even though uh, in our in my country of the United States, you know, where things seem to be somewhat stagnant and in decline, the Western Church isn't alone. And so um, there's a chapter at the end of the book called Prayer and Fasting. There's a pastor in Sierra Leone in West Africa, and he tells these stories of boldness and a, of a move of the spirit that it's just like we see in the book of Acts and one of my friends who's a pastor in Tennessee you know he's been there and he says man it is it's just like the book of Acts and again we in the west experiencing some stagnancy uh, some decline of air experiencing renewal and revival and so all that to say that we have a lot to learn you know if we really want to grow and we really want to See renewal and revival. It starts with serious prayer and serious fasting. There's a, a long quote I, I'd like to share uh, in one of the first. It's actually the first chapter. Miriam Edney, uh, when she's writing about what the world's got up to, and I'll read this paragraph if you don't mind because uh, I, I think it's very encouraging. She says, "What is God doing in this world today?" he continues to unroll a magnificent meta story which she talks about in the chapter the whole you know big picture story of god stretching from the beginning of time through the present and into the future now jesus people are present in every nation among Buddhists Hindus Muslims and historic Christians they are so widespread that even if the us and europe were to fall off the map tomorrow the church of jesus christ would go gloriously on and that's the quote we in the West, we are not alone, and we have a lot to learn.
2: Yeah, wow, that that's a great point. I remember talking to a pastor from India a few months ago, and he pastors a church of 30,000. Mm. And for them, there's churches of 30,000, a dime a dozen out there in India, you know. <laughs> and I remember talking with him, and I said, and he invited me to come to his church someday, and I said, all right. I will come under one condition. He said, what's that? I said, I get to spend one week, and I get to go around with you guys, and you guys show me how you are sharing the gospel with the Hindus around you there. And I get to hang out, and I get to learn from you guys for one week, and then I'll teach. And he looked at me, and he said, in his Indian accent, oh, very interesting, you know? Uh-huh. And I said, what? And he goes, you're the first American that's wanted to come and learn from us. And I said, what, what do you mean? I said, you got a church of 30,000. Who wouldn't want to learn from you? I said, what do most Americans do? He goes, well, most Americans come from their churches of, you know, 150, 200. Tell us what to do and uh, tell us how we're supposed to be doing things. And then they leave. And I said, oh, what do you guys do about it? He said, oh, we just put up with them for two weeks and then we send them home. You know, he just kind of <laughs> laughed. And I just, I was really humbled. I was like, wow, you know, and and what you're saying is right. We have been a great missionary sending country, but we also have a lot to learn because now the face of Christianity is actually Asian or African or Latin American now. Yeah, what you're saying is absolutely right.
1: Yeah, and, and there are so many Churches out, you know, internationally that that we could learn so much from. You know, I was speaking with somebody from Pakistan the other day, and just the boldness that we can learn from that. You know, I, I've heard it said that other parts of the country they fear the raised fist, and in the West we we fear the raised eyebrow. Mm, um, wow. You know, we we need boldness. We need to learn methods that you know are multiplication methods, where we're we're actually making disciples who make disciples who make disciples instead of just oh, this is a really cool church that you should come to. And, you know, we have a really great Sunday morning church service. So, yeah, there's just so much we can learn. And we do need to humble ourselves. And obviously, you know, there there's still a lot of life in the Western church and still things that we can offer and we need to offer. But there's also much we can learn.
2: Well, I know we could go on all day and, and talk about, you know, the great lessons we learned from this book here. But the last one we're going to Cover here is ultimate reality is trustworthy. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so if you look at the other religions, ultimate reality is a bit ambiguous. You know, Islam, for example, yes, Islam believes in one God, but, you know, according to the Muslim scholars, we can't really know God's character. We can only know his will. Buddhism, you know, all of life in this world is futility, it's, it's depicted as being in the mouth of a demon. You get off the wheel and you get off into nirvana, uh, but even that is unknowable. And that's ultimate reality. In Hinduism, Brahman isn't a person that you can have a relationship with, rather more of an impersonal force. And so Jesus, however, taught us and, and he proved that you keep going further and further out and ultimate reality, God is good. We can trust him. He even loves us. And so, you know, if we're putting our trust in our ability, to obtain liberation or our ability to master some meditative technique or our ability to do more good deeds than bad deeds. Uh, if, If we're putting our trust in that, then we're really putting our trust in something we can't truly trust, and that would be putting our trust in us. Jesus taught us, though, that the ultimate reality is someone we can trust, and he's proven that we can trust him and that our salvation, it's not a matter of me climbing a ladder to him, but him coming down the ladder to us. And so that's good news.
2: Uh, We've been having an interview with Dr. Daniel McCoy. He's the editorial director of Renew.org, and we're talking about his new book here, uh, Hot Off the Press, the popular handbook of world religions. Outstanding book here covering the world religions and a whole lot more. My only problem with this book, Daniel, is that it came out in the middle of my semester. I'm teaching the world religions, and uh, uh, I would have used this book as a textbook, you know, they came out in the middle of the semester. So, oh, man, we're going to have to wait till next year uh, when I teach that class to have this on our list. But, Daniel, if people want more information on you and the kind of things we talked about today, where can they go for more information?
1: First of all, thank you so much again for having me on. I, I really, really enjoyed this. And uh, I would point them to a couple different places. One would be to the book itself. Christian Book would have it. Uh, again, the popular handbook of world religions. Amazon has it. But another place I would really highly recommend people go to is Renew.org forward slash because what we did there was we created a couple of learning guides. These are free, downloadable learning guides that basically take the most important information from the book. And, and there's just a lot of information there. We took it and we put it into memorizable, organized. Here's how you can memorize this stuff uh format. And so they should be at the very top there of the ebooks section at Renew.org and they're called On World Religions, a 10 lesson learning guide. And there's volume one, there's volume two. And again, if you're someone who maybe you're studying this for a class or maybe you're just a self learner and you, you want to learn this information, we we really I think did a good job of putting that into memorizable format for really learning the, the most important things about the religions. So free downloadable, check it out renew.org.
2: Wow, that's renew.org. There. Great website that you're going to want to check out. So Daniel, thanks for being a guest here on Evidence and Answers.
1: Thanks so much.
0: We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence & Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org keep broadcasts like pats on the air we rely on generous support from you our listeners or the opportunity to donate head on over to our website once again that's evidenceandanswersorg and you may do so right there online you'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you everything from atheism to zen buddhism including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccaran.